Hello, and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, who are known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm Kalen McPherson. And I'm David. Today, on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Mark Dunley previewing the upcoming Climate, Jobs, and Justice rally. Then, Willie Terry shares a recording of Governor Kathy Hochul from last week's Get Out the Vote rally. Later on, we remember Michael Corso with an interview from our archives by Peter Savio. After that, performance artist Lisa Giardini tells us about her upcoming performance at the Art Center for the Capital Region. Finally, Jacob Boston was on scene at the North Central Little League Halloween Safe Night and brings us his report. But first, here are the headlines. A federal district judge has temporarily blocked multiple sections of New York's new concealed carry law. The state can still prevent people from carrying guns in Times Square, public playgrounds, libraries, zoos, nurseries, and preschools. But mental health, hospitals, places of worship, public parks, zoos, theaters, conference centers, protests, and bars are no longer off-limits. A section of the law barring permit holders from carrying guns in other restricted locations was blocked as well. An estimated million and a half voters took advantage of early voting and absentee ballots to cast their voters before Election Day. That represents 12% of registered voters. The Times Union reports that the Albany City School District's computer systems were repeatedly attacked over the weekend, but school officials said no data was stolen. However, the district's connection to the internet was cut on Sunday in response to the attacks. Teachers and students were advised Monday that they could not use the internet for the next three days. Two Clifton Park Town Board members, Amy Standard and Amy Flood, resigned from their positions late Monday afternoon, days after the Daily Gazette published a story that the pair had been involved in alleged misuse of town's resources to politically challenge the town supervisor. Town of Rotterdam lawmakers on Wednesday will vote on a proposed ordinance that would allow some property owners in town to maintain up to six chickens in their backyards. The proposed law is similar to legislation already in place in nearby Niskayuna and Gilderland. This is it for the headlines. For those just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or call 518-272-2390. Now moving on to our first segment, New York Renews will hold a rally at noon at the state capitol on Wednesday, November 16th, to launch its 2023 campaign, for Climate, Jobs, and Justice. Mark Dunley reports. We're joined today by Hassan Harris uh, Wilcher, who is uh, with uh, Citizen Action, which is part of the uh, coalition, uh, New York Renews, which has been working on climate, environmental justice, jobs issues uh, in, in New York State. Uh, and they're about to launch on uh, Wednesday, November 16th, uh, with a 
press conference rally at the Capitol, uh, their climate jobs and justice uh, agenda for uh, 2023. So Hassan, I mean, we've had New York Renews on quite a few times, but why don't you just give us a brief introduction to New York uh, Renews and you know, maybe highlight some of the things you'll be focusing on climate for next session. Right. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. Um, so yeah, I am I am with Citizen Action, which is part of the New York Renews Coalition and Family. Um, so New York Renews is all about uh, getting getting the climate and the goals that we have for the climate in New York to work work for the people and be aligned to create more uh, sustainable environment that we have here. So uh, yeah, we are we're part of the coalition that is working to expand uh, the the role and the ability for uh, the legislator to act and make sure some of the goals that we have and some of the acts that we have passed to make make an actual impact and improve the lives of the community and the, the people that we have here today. So um, we are just part of that. Uh, just happy to be a part of that family and pushing forward um, with this uh, action that we have in November. Um, yeah, so we... I know we, one of the things that uh, New York News over the years had, had worked on was a version of, you know, make the polluters pay, you know, the companies that, you know, damaged uh, the environment and drew, drove climate change through you know, fossil fuel emissions should have to, to pay for it. The legislature has balked at doing that. I think initially was looking around, you know, at least $10 billion a year. You know, what, what's going to be the strategy moving forward in trying to get the, you know, state legislature and the governor actually to fund, you know, climate measures, particularly, you know, to make this goal of 35 to 40 percent of the climate funding go to environmental justice communities. Yeah, so that that is that is the big the big motivating push um, to get to get these these actions and goals funded. The reason why we want to get all this funded is to put it back into the community in smart, equitable, sustainable ways. So we are we are looking to make um, the polluters start to pay for it because you know we we as the community i've lived in albany and was born and raised in albany for my my entire life so i've been very close to some of the actions and some of the fallout from from uh, all of the the things that are being done in in new york around climate or disregarding climate um so we want to make sure that the communities that are on the front lines that are that are right next to the the garbage disposals the power plants are, make, are making sure that their voices are heard and that they have a fair share and stake into the, the future of what uh, New York is supposed to be. So, so um, our main push to get some of these things funded are to highlight what needs to be funded and how it can, how it can work uh, for the people in the community. So we're talking mostly about jobs. We are, we are talking about, uh, um, in investing in the climate, investing in community projects that are sustainable, that are, are effective and, and have a level of transparency and openness to the whole process so that we understand where the money is going to, how, how it really impacts the people and, and pushing, pushing our ideas forward in a way that makes sense and doesn't, doesn't say, isn't just a, another sort of greenwashing or just something 
that we say, oh yeah, just, you know, if you just recycle or do do something, then that really helps as opposed to putting the money and the dollars and the investment where it really needs to be, which is with, with the people, with, with the jobs um, and with a real push to make this sustainable. Now, three years ago, the state, you know, adopted a new climate law, the CLCPA. Uh, the Climate Action Council is just finishing right now its draft of that climate plan. You know, what are the plans that New York Renews has to actually take both the law and what's in the plan and to ensure that those things happen? Like, you know, how do we actually, you know, phase out fossil fuels? How do we rebuild uh, or build um, renewable energy, and how do we particularly invest in disadvantaged communities? What's what's sort of the plan for next year on that? Mm -hmm. So, so some of the ways that we we hope to sort of do that is by um, by labeling out um, some of the, some of the funding that we are asking for into into ways that um, that that spell out exactly how we how we plan to do that. So I know there was sort of a, a budgeting committee that was that was working for it and a scoping plan um, to to work out some of those kinks and start to really see exactly what's going on. So we're we're talking about uh, funds that create investment into the labor force, um, into re, uh, sort of standardizing some of those some of those contracts and the community uh in engagements and 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 contracts to just just make sure it it makes sense um and then and then going back to making making the polluters uh uh understand or pay for the harm that they have caused so um so pr uh processing fees and presenting uh information to the company so that they so that they're aware of what what level and percentage that they have been contributing to to the problem um, so, some of the some of the main tenets and ways we we sort of uh, the benefits that we hope to see from from some of these things are to improve the air air quality, expanding public transportation, which is another way to uh, you know have community engagement, uh, building a little bit more jobs, and having the sustainable practices with sort of the EV wave um, and some of the other uh, green green jobs that can come about. Um, and improving uh, energy efficiency in homes and cold winters and, and warm summers, getting uh, this climate that we, that we are in because we are in a climate crisis at the moment, November, and it is 65 degrees outside. Um, typically, you would think it would be getting towards the 40s, even the 30s, but right now we are at 65 degrees, which is uh, different than, than it has been or probably should be. Um, yeah. You haven't been in this conference on Wednesday, November 16th, I believe it was at 12 o'clock at the uh, Capitol. Do, do you want people to show up and participate? You know, how can they do that? Or how, how can they support this effort moving forward? So how they can continue to support is by uh, talking to your legislators, um, writing, writing letters to Hochul, to people in the assembly and the legislator, to to really um, make sure that our voices are heard and that and that the funding is there to make these goals and these and your voice, you know, make make sense and actually work.
to benefit uh, all of all of New Yorkers. You know, we have a lot of um, a lot of talk from from the fossil fuel companies and and all those sorts of things saying what they can't do. Well, let's talk about what we can do and how we can do it effectively and and smartly. So by by um, you know pushing pushing social media, uh, uh, partnering with with uh, New York Renews and and Citizen Action and finding finding uh, local community members and organizers that are are a part of this and bringing that to attention so that we can all. Uh, form a powerful coalition and have a powerful message, because this is what the whole um, the whole action is for for November 16th. We are looking to provide a strong message uh, to to people and the legislator uh, legislators that we want and we need this to be a priority. Um, it's not something we can put on the back burner again and again and again and keep kicking the can. Um, so. By, yeah, so if you can, if you have the time to show up and have, have a little bit of solidarity, listen to the speakers that we have. We have some some legislators and people who are who are in government trying to make make these uh, goals a priority. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been uh, Hassan Harris uh, Wilcher with New York Renews and Citizen Action, and this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Again, that rally for climate, jobs, and justice will be on Wednesday, November 16, to launch New York Renew's 2023 campaign. Moving right along to our second segment, also about voting. Uh, on Wednesday, November 2, 2022, Roaming Labor correspondent Willie Terry attended a Get Out to Vote rally at the Albany Labor Temple in Albany, New York. In this third and f- final labor segment, you will hear Governor Kathy Hochul speaking at the rally. Yeah, this is Willie Terry, your Roman labor correspondent for the Hudson Mohawk Network. And I'm here today at the uh, Labor Temple in Albany, New York, where they are having a big rally uh, called Get Out to Vote Rally. There's a lot of union uh, representation here today, and I think they're expecting Kathy Hochul Champion, the governor of the great state of New York, Kathy Holcomb. It is our Super Bowl. I've been waiting my entire life to win the Super Bowl. This is the year we bring it on. I know it won in six, I watch it closely. The energy in this room just lifts my soul. And that makes me even feel more passionate about being your voice and fighting for you. We made extraordinary progress just in the one year I was in office because I knew that there were issues that were long overdue that hadn't been attended to. And it was time to let labor know they had the most friendly, supportive governor in our history because I come from all of you. Labor lifted my family out of their circumstances, lifted them up. Like so many in this country, my grandparents, as teenagers, left enormous poverty in Ireland. They had nowhere to go but to America, where dreams were made. 
And Grandpa was once a migrant farm worker in the wheat fields of South Dakota. And then he and Grandma got married and they were able to be domestic servants in Chicago. But all of a sudden, they heard about the promised land. Buffalo, New York, you can make steel in your hand, you can make steel. steel plant, his sons, including my father, were able to get that union card. And as a young couple living in a trailer park, my dad made steel by hand, was able to get an education by night. And he was able to lift his family out of that trailer park. I was at that trailer park days ago, just days ago. And I went to the diner there. So I want the people to know that I know where I come from. I come from strong labor union, hard working running through this body, I can handle the rough and tough of New York politics any day. I do this with amazing allies. I understand I worked in every level of government. I was even an intern for the New York State Assembly when I was younger. And I had, yes, it was fun. I got my husband there. I stand with me here today. I want you to understand this. I told you where I came from. I told you what's in my heart and in my soul and why I'm a fighter. But let's talk about where we're going. That's what's more important. Where are we going to? First of all, we are not going backwards. We are not. We have come too long, too far. And but I've got the people with me. We reject the extremism, the negativity, the thought that you can scare people and never even have a common sense plan to deal with real crime because if you're saying you're tough on crime, my friends, you are tough on illegal guns. And they are not. They are trying to scare you when they refuse. They have common sense legislation like making sure that 18-year-olds cannot go by a military-style assault weapon and turn it on people like my neighbors in Buffalo this past spring. They will not stand up for that. We must stand up and reject that. We will stand up. We believe in education. I see many teachers here. teachers at the dinner table, I know all your issues every night. These are my sisters-in-law, my sisters, everybody. I understand the challenges of teachers, especially during a global pandemic. Now, how hard was it? I thought of my little niece. My little niece had four young kids herself, and she was an elementary school teacher. Her kids are at one end of the kitchen table. She's at the other end of the kitchen table trying to educate her kids, and it was a disaster. Our teachers tried so hard. They put their heart and soul in it, but we have to lift them up now. That's why we have record historic funding in education. And so the foundation aid lawsuit, they never should have money kept out of your hands all these years. We got that done for our teachers. And our healthcare workers, you can call them here.
camp and all of our unions, I want you to know this. I want you to know this. Our healthcare workers had a lot of support at the time. And everybody said, well, we owe them a debt of gratitude. Oh my gosh, it was so great. I said, you know how you pay a debt? You actually give them money. That's how you pay a debt. Although my son's now home on paternity leave, so he's raising a baby too. But it's mostly the moms who had to stay out of the workforce. So that's why with our legislature, our speaker, the delegation, Andre Stewart Cousins, who I just left this afternoon, we said we need to invest in childcare because when I was a young mom, I had no childcare. I know what it's like to have to leave a job. $7.7 billion For the state looks like we've been knocked down we've been knocked down before we know how to get back up we know how to punch back and we know how to fight for our freedoms our freedom to vote our freedom to decide your own destiny of your own body if you're a woman Difference. And with you and all your friends and family and coworkers of Bochi, 
marching to the polls between now and election day, we will make that difference together. I'm coming on the labor. That was Governor Kathy Hochul speaking at the Get Out the Vote rally, reported on by Willie Terry. This broadcast is recorded on Tuesday evening, the day of the election. Tune in to Hudson Mohawk Magazine for tomorrow's interview of Mark Dunley by Sally Beckham for an election recap. For those just tuning in, I'm Kalen McPherson. And I'm David. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Sharing this program with others re- really often helps Hudson Mohawk Magazine to thrive. Find today's story and more at mediasanctuary.org. Our next piece is an interview from our archives, replayed in memory of Michael Corso, a towering figure in New York State's public sector and a passionate disabilities rights advocate and philanthropist. Michael passed away on October 29th. This is the second part of the interview. Welcome to Climate Matters. I am Peter Savio, and I'm here interviewing a good friend, Michael Corso. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Pete. Thank you. Hey, uh, this is a the segment in a series of podcasts that we've started in 2020, uh, this time uh, looking at utility regulation. And uh, for a lot of people, that might seem like a boring or, or humdrum topic. But when Michael Corso is here, you will think differently. So uh, we talked last time about the fact that Michael has been a thought leader at the Department of Public Service in New York and the Public Service Commission around uh issues regarding electric deregulation, around consumer protection, around utility low-income energy efficiency programs. In this segment, we're going to start jumping into the consumer protection aspect. But uh, before we do, Michael, tell us a little bit more. What does the Public Service Commission do and what, what was your role there? Okay. The Public Service Commission really, and you boil it down, has two functions. The first is to set rates, and the second is to take complaints. And resolving those two matters is an abundance of work, which is, which is getting much more complicated over time due to policy development and technology changes. And we have found our way to getting better at some things and finding that others are a bit more complicated. But I will say this. I was there 34 years to the day, and I never had a boring day. <laughs> We're going to ask you to translate that. So give us an example of what, what some of the high points were, Michael, in terms of, uh, or, or were there just regular high points uh, too tough to count? 
I would say the latter, Pete. Uh, the work was so interesting and different every day that uh, I can give highlights of functions or highlights of uh, successes that the commission had. But m the most important thing was that we were constantly searching for goals that were higher than we were sitting at currently. So we were always stretching and always achieving more and more and more as we continue to develop public policy on energy, especially since energy has become such a different thing to people than it once was. Uh, when I was a little boy, I remember gasoline, as an example, was 24 cents a gallon, and now it's over 250 a gallon, and at times in our life it was 450 a gallon. That changes the dynamic on a whole bunch of things, but if you think about it, the economy is completely affected by one thing in this regard, and that is the cost of energy. And those things changed quite a bit over time. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I'll continue to weave in. Absolutely true. The economy, uh, also uh, the environment, and uh, particularly related to climate change and some differential impacts of of. Uh, uh, electricity production, uh, differential in terms of burdens, differential in terms of benefits. So mm -hmm. uh, clearly it's a highly consequential role. Uh, the, the Public Service Commission serves a highly consequential role in, in looking at it from that perspective. So Michael, in terms of consumer protection, if we get back to that, mm -hmm. um, how is consumer protection, give us a kind of a snapshot of how that gets played out in terms of uh, how utility rates are set and how uh, complaints are addressed. Pretty Not much complicated. It, yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know where to start. Well, let me just say this. The real opening of consumer protection happened in 1981 when in the year previous, um, a couple in Schenectady, New York, were found dead from exposure because they didn't have utility service. They didn't pay a bill about 65 bucks and the utility terminated their service. And I understand, and many people do, if you don't pay, you can't have the service, but energy is an incredibly required, necessary service. It is not like buying jelly beans. So, Consumer advocates came around and fought very hard against the PSC and against the government in general, <clears throat> and they formulated a plan, and eventually it got written out and it became law, and that is called HEFPA, H-E-F-P-A, the Home Energy Fair Practices Act. And basically, it was a set of rules that require utilities to give proper and adequate notice so that consumers have a chance to pay a bill or seek assistance, public assistance, to pay the bill so they avoid termination of service. So it's very hard to terminate service in New York State, and there are downsides to it, but the upside is way less people lose their service and consequentially, consequentially die. And that doesn't happen like it used to. It's very infrequent that people lose energy service for not paying a bill and then they have consequences. So kind of a direct uh, illustration of a policy change and the consequences before and after that policy change. Mm -hmm. Pretty pretty amazing. I came to the commission in 1986, and we were still ramping up HEFPA. 
It took, takes a long time to implement a massive law and regulations associated with that law. And when I came in 86, we were still doing it and we were partnering in a, uh, with social services where we were not really working with them before I arrived. One of the things I started to do because of a letter of complaint um, was to bridge communications and activities between the state agencies, the Public Service Commission and the Department of uh, Social Services. Again, kind of illustrating this this notion that energy is integral to so many other societal functions, uh, government services in in this case, but the the real consequences for uh, all of us as energy consumers. Yep. Um, so, in terms of uh, the the consumer protection interests, where do they sit, and how are they balanced against? Uh, say there's a clear priority in terms of uh, electric reliability. There's a clear priority in terms of keeping rates as low as possible and, and addressing affordability. Um, there are many other priorities around climate and energy efficiency. Where does consumer protection fit in that framework, and, and how, how, are those, how does that balancing act play out? So I would describe it as... Prior to 1981, it was virtually not there. After and, and it was de facto there, but not formally. After 81 to, let's say, the teens, 20 teens, um, it grew. Protections, consumer protections and advocates came out, uh, started forming organizations. <clears throat> and then large organizations took energy on as a segment of their work best example I can give is AARP. AARP has become a very strong consumer advocate in the field of energy, and at one time it wasn't even on the radar screen for them. Um, and I, there was so much concern about price spikes and issues associated with consumers, particularly low-income consumers, not being treated fairly and raising rates that were on average not so bad but to people who are lower income and middle income, it was bad. And there was no real advocacy for that. It got further developed. And then finally, in 2013, the commission realized it needed much more support in this area. So it created a consumer advocate position in the agency. And they said that there needs to be liaison, communication. There needs to be open uh, policy development and inclusion and they appointed me to be the first consumer advocate at the department mm -hmm. um, in 2013. And uh, I left in 2018, and I'm not sure where it is now. But it has changed the course of Mighty Rivers because I would say the balance point, Pete, now is that they are equal players to business. And that is a really success story because they weren't getting fair shake at all and it developed to a point where now they're big players the low income has a voice at the table in a big way thanks to pulp the public utility law project aerp etc uh, wonderful so we are here with michael corso and we've been discussing the public service commission and the uh, kinds of connections that a lot of people may not realize the roles that are played there the consequences um, it's a great example, Michael, as you describe it, of pulp and AARP uh, helping influence policy and 
the government responding with a stronger institutional presence. Uh, really appreciate uh, having Michael Corso here on Climate Matters. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Pete. This is our Carvel segment of 2020 by Hudson Mohawk Magazine correspondent Pierre Savio replayed in memory of Michael Corsio, who recently passed away on October 29th. Artist and performer Lisa Giardini will be performing a show about letting go of what no longer serves you, coming up at the Arts Center of the Capital Region. Hi, my name is Lisa Giardini. I am a language tutor by day and a performance artist um, here and there. And I also love to crochet uh, amigurumi, which are cute critters and such. Um, I also really, really love to travel and would love to see as much of the world as I humanly can. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you. What strikes me in the way that you introduced yourself is you kind of went into the touch, the the hearing, the seeing. You kind of went through all the senses there in in the way that you described yourself. So oh, that is very much of a creative. Uh, you've already introduced yourself as a creative. So definitely so feel like a creative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. And. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into the performance aspect of your work. You have an upcoming performance that we will get to shortly. And performance art can have a lot of expressions. So how would you describe your performance art and why is this the expression that you gravitated towards? I would describe my performance as storytelling primarily. Because storytelling for me is just vital. I think everyone has a story to tell about their own lives and nobody else can tell it better than that particular person. So I find that to be extremely important. And I also really love dancing. So I always dance in my performances. And I started doing some singing uh, because I enjoy singing. It's not because I have ever had any uh, training, really, uh, but I just enjoy it. So, yes. And I have also do a little bit. Uh, sometimes I like to put on a little comedy work or once I did a puppet show, um, sometimes I play the violin. So, yeah, I like to put a lot of different performance medias together to keep it varied and entertaining. So coming up, you have your third one-woman performance. It's called Up in the Air. This will take place at the Arts Center of the Capital Region on November 9th and 10th. What is this performance about? So this performance kind of evolved. I thought it was going to be just about letting go in general, but specifically it's letting go of those things that no longer serve you in your life. Um, And for me specifically, that seems to be perfectionism. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I I focuses a bit on that and and then encouraging people to do what it is that they really want in their life. Is it because of your art form that you have addressed this aspect of you and this is your way of like self-therapy kind of through something that you felt like you wanted to work on in yourself? Well, the beautiful thing about performing is that 
it is a process and in the process with I think any creative activity, you learn so much about yourself. And so even, yeah, through writing it and then uh, rehearsing it, you start to realize what is important and when things are just kind of superficial or, you know, you, you get to the meat of what you're trying to say. Um, so it is it is part of the process itself, if, if that makes any sense. <laughs> So your previous one-woman shows were My Naked Life and Love You So Much. What were the things that you addressed in these pieces? So My Naked Life, <laughs> I, I gave it a kind of provocative title because someone said, oh, you'll attract more attention. But it did actually seem to fit a lot because it was my first show and I was exposing who I was, what my fears were, what things that I experienced when I was a child that um, that were unpleasant, but I think that people could relate to. For example, being criticized or said, you know, oh, don't be a prima donna, you know, don't act out or something, you know, don't act like you're all that, right? So it's putting those things out there, things that people might not normally talk about. And so it was really this feeling of vulnerability. Um, that was really what I talked about in the first show. And in the second show, something that's also really important to me, it's about love, obviously, love you so much. And there were different stories about all kinds of loves in my life from my grandmother and how she loved us by providing food, lots and lots of lovely food to us, um, to having crushes that were unrequited, not returned. Um, to my marriage and divorce and such like that. So yes, and everything that you could think of that had to do with love and then coming to the at the end realizing, oh, I love myself. And that is really the most important thing. Mm, yeah, that, that's a, a really great place to end in, in that spectrum of love. What mm -hmm. motivates you to create more work? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. I think it's the fact that I enjoy being on stage. I do like the attention. The process itself can be really agonizing because I often have this negative voice saying, ah, oh, you know, what can you say that hasn't been said before in a million ways? But then I realized that nobody else can say can speak my voice. So it, there's not going to be any identical voice to mine out there. And I just feel this real need to let people know how important it is to do something that they really love and that they're maybe very afraid to do. Um, just, just to go out and do it. And so many people will say to me, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. You know, got up on stage. It's like, I could never do that. You know, recently a friend told me I couldn't even get on stage to introduce you. <laughs> so it's just to really, I think to make a long story short too late, um, it's really to inspire other people. That's something that really motivates me. So perhaps you already answered this question, but how has performance work changed you as a person? Yeah, so it's definitely 
had me come to terms with issues like perfectionism. And uh, I really have a difference of perspective now of what a show needs to be like. I think in the beginning, I was thinking it has to be very polished. Um, you can't see any cracks. Everything is just perfect. And now I realize that it's more about the passion and just being in the moment and sharing, you know, your enthusiasm with other people. And in that vulnerability, uh, people can connect better. I think it's easier for them than if they're like, oh, boy, you know, she's too perfect. I could never do that. And I'm kind of a little worried because people keep saying, oh, I can't get on stage. But I'm not saying you need to get on stage, but just to do something that you really want to do that you're a little afraid to do. This performance is coming up, up in the air at the Art Center of the Capital Region, November 9th and 10th. What else should listeners know about this performance? Yeah, so there are going to be two performances a day at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. on both Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, just encourage people to come. I think they will enjoy it and be inspired, hopefully, and um maybe it might kick off some creativity in their own life. What other artists and performers in the capital region inspire you at the moment? Um, I would say Erin Hargs. She's both a comedian and a singer, and she's very passionate in the way she sings and performs. And I would also say Ritz Carlton, just because of the nerve of him doing this act, uh, as a 70s lounge singer, it's hysterical, it's over the top, and I think it must feel very risky, but really great at the same time. Lisa Giardini, it's been wonderful having you on Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Up in the Air will perform at the Arts Center of the Capital Region on November 9th and 10th. And we end tonight's show with a recap of last week's Halloween event at North Central Little League around the corner from the sanctuary. How's it going? I'm Jacob Boston. On Halloween, I went with Sina Hickey to the Choi Central Little League in North Central Choi for the Safe Night Halloween event, where I talked to various people about what it takes to put this event together, what it means to them to have this event in their community, and other fun Halloween questions with very special guests in costume. Have you been here before, um, yeah, or is this I your first time here? here? I played baseball in this little league and everything. We come over here every year. Yep. So, what's your favorite part about it? Well, what's my favorite? The pavilion there and the stuff that they do and the parties they have for the kids, and they have this every year, trick-or-treat for the kids. They give them the hayride. What's your favorite costume you've seen all time out of all the times you've been here? What's my favorite one? The little ninja, one man right there, the little turtle. <laughs> this costume is amazing. Um, so this is a pretty good event for the community. Um, yes, it gets the kids, instead of being out in the streets with all the stuff that goes on on Halloween, they have it here every year, and the kids get to come in, and the parents and everybody's under here, and there's no trouble, you know? What does it take to, I guess, put, this, put events like this together and... What does it mean to you that people actually want to come here? It, it, to put a fence like this is people donate. We donate money to, the, to them and other places in the police station. And everybody donates. 
and they have the kids come down here and have a good time instead of going door to door and somebody hateful person putting something in a candy or an apple or whatever and the kids are getting them because trick or treat the last past few years and then got bad so this helps out with the kids if you could be anything for halloween right now what would you be football player mm. yeah. all right thank you so you guys are you guys are the powerpuff girls can you tell me which specific ones you are? Do you guys know? I'm Bubbles. Which one are you? I'm Bubbles. And I'm, I'm Cherry Plum. I'm Broccoli. Broccoli. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she's Broccoli, she's Cherry Plum, she's Bubbles. Which one are you? What about you? What, who are you? I'm Elsa from the Elsa movie. The Elsa movie? Oh, man. I didn't know she had one by herself. Like the one yeah. from Elsa and Anna. And oh, Frozen. She has freeze powers, right? Huh? Yeah. How fun is it for you to bring all these kids to this event and just see them have a good time? This is actually our first year coming, and it I, we watch it every year, though, go by and everything, and it always sounds fun, and these guys are already seeming to have fun, so the Little League does a lot for the community. I was going to ask about the Little League a little bit, too. They do a lot of events. Like, we have the Easter event. I volunteered over here a few times. They stuff thousands of eggs and put them in the field. Toy giveaways. They have clothes giveaways. It's just a safe space for our children to be without having to worry about anything that's happening outside of us. Like all the yeah. violence and stuff like that. I, yeah, I definitely appreciate you. This is my first time here, too. So... It is cool to kind of see everyone in their costumes and just everyone having a good time. And the Powerpuff Girls here, um, this is, if I'm right, right? You can tell me if I'm right. This is Blossom, Buttercup, Bubbles, and Elsa. Yep, and then my pirate is hiding behind her father. Can I ask you what you are for Halloween? You're a pirate? Yeah. So... Out of the three Powerpuff Girls, which one's your favorite? Um, Buttercup. Okay, so from what I've heard, you you're pretty heavily involved in this event. Um, I coordinated it. I started it. So, like, this what is this? What does it mean to you to put it, this event together safe, for the community? Safe night. It's just that safe night. It's about the kids. It's about the community. It's about everybody being safe. Um, we, I try to encourage family, families to come out and spend time together by doing this event every year here at Troy Central Little League. We offer free dinner, hayride, all free. We have in the past did a haunted house. We're not able to do it this year due to safety reasons. Um, and at the end kids get a bag of candy you see it's still a big turnout and there was a shooting this afternoon so we held back on a lot of stuff because of the increased violence but it's still a, a, a big good turnout we're getting inspected by a fireman here um why do you why do you like being here you like being here for the candy you like being here because there's a lot of community or what are you here for you if, you, if it's the candy, you can tell me. Candy. I knew it. I knew it.
He, he definitely said the candy. <laughs> You're here for the candy. Hey, when I was his age, that you was me too. For the candy. Yeah. Oh, you got something to show me? A whistle? Oh, oh, he's he's official. He's official. He has a whistle. And a walkie-talkie. Oh yeah. So tell me some tell me tell me some firefighter stuff on that walkie-talkie. You have burning down. I'll come to your house. Mr. Rescue. He's gonna save the city one house at a time. Did you introduce yourself? Crystal Thomas. And you live next door to North Central Little League. I live next door to Central Little So, yeah, there's a lot of kids. I enjoy watching them out the window. Every once in a while, a ball hits the window and breaks it. <laughs> oh, no. It's okay. <laughs> it's great. How important is it to have this place in your neighborhood? It's very important with the world today. They're not on the streets. They're safe right here. Everybody's here. So, yeah. And can you describe this event, what's going on? Um, it's kind of a, it's a Halloween party. Um, Chuck and Steve donated stuff. Um, it's just great, Halloween festival. The pumpkins, it's the grass. This guy over here, it's dressed as, what's he, I forgot what he's dressed as. I'm not sure, but I'm admiring the glitz and the, and the, what do you call it, character it is. Me neither. He told me, but I forgot. He's got like a sword, like a howled out, like little gun thing. It's been like a little bit of a quiz of pop culture, isn't it, Halloween? Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> just look I was around. just I was just told what a dragon beetle is, I think. A what? A dragon beetle? <laughs> I have no idea. I like these, you know, when I dress. <laughs> I love to see them dressed up, having fun. It's great. Thank you so much. Anything else that listeners should know about this event? Um no, just a great time. Everybody should come come out and enjoy it. I don't usually come, you know, because of the kids. My kids, I go trick-or-treating, but I'm glad I came. It's a great time. You're welcome. Can you introduce yourself? Deborah Jackson. And what is going on here? What, the sound, there's so much energy here. Can you describe the room? Kitty chaos. It's Halloween. There's a great energy. It's very community-oriented. Uh, Mac and Dawson Henderson do a phenomenal job bringing everybody together, and everybody wants a safe night for the kids, so I love it. All the costumes, all the people running around, the fire department, police department in here helping. Um, it's just a great thing. So, I love it. <laughs> and you guys are assembling the hot dogs over here? Hi, could you introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, how are you? I'm Ella. And what brings you back here every year and you're helping oh, out? This this brings me back. The community always brings me back. How, oh, it's a wonderful thing to give back. You know. How long have you been helping out? Oh, um, multiple years. I want to say maybe uh, eight plus, maybe. Not more. <laughs> Ella knows a lot more than I do about this whole procedure. <laughs> And what is the best part about this event every year? Watching the kids go crazy over the hayride. <laughs> and the costumes. Thank you so much. All right, tell me what you're wearing. Freddy Fazbear. Ooh, very cool. And what are you? Ninja. And you? Dojo. And you? 
I'm just, a, I'm just, I'm just dead. I'm He's just a clown. Dead. So what are you doing here? He's a clown. He's a clown, and what are you doing here? We're doing, we're coming here because we're having fun. And what is fun about it? And we're getting candy. Candy's fun. Yeah. What about the food? It smells like hamburgers. Yeah. Like hot dogs. Well, you look great. This report was from correspondent Jacob Boston with some interviews by Sina Bazilla Hickey. Thank you, Sina. Now, that's our show, and I'd also like to welcome my co-host to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, David Moore. So, uh, what interested you in Hudson Mohawk Magazine? I moved to North Lansingburg a year ago uh, from Rensselaer. And have appreciated the the work and energy and creativity that's come out of both the Hudson Mohawk Magazine and the Sanctuary for Independent Media. And I have some time that, that I'm able to to participate, and hope to be with a community of creativity and contribute ways ways in which I can be creative. What stories do you want to create with the Hudson Mohawk Magazine? I'm still exploring that but possibly ways in which we can integrate uh, stories about ways of faith communities and people can participate in the work of justice and peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Kalen McPherson. And I'm David. Our engineer is Sina Bazilla Hickey. We want to thank all of the volunteers who made this episode possible. Contributors to, this, to today's episode are Mark Dunley, Willie Terry, Peter Savio, Jacob Boston, and Sina Bazilla Hickey. Your host, Kaylin McPherson, and myself, David Moore. This program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. We want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Media Sanctuary, or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news, or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening. Radio and radio continues to grow. Until next time, folks. <laughs>